Welcome to U.S. Bancorp's fourth quarter 2020 earnings conference call. Following a review of the results by Andy Sassiri, Chairman, President, and Chief Executive Officer, and Terry Dolan, Vice Chair and Chief Financial Officer, there will be a formal question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone and press the pound key to withdraw. This call will be recorded and available for replay beginning today at approximately 12 p.m. Eastern through Wednesday, February the 3rd, 2021 at 12 midnight Eastern. I will now turn the conference call over to Jen Thompson, Director of Investor Relations and Economic Analysis for U.S. Bancorp. Thank you, Natalia, and good morning, everyone. With me today are Andy Sperry, our Chairman, President, and CEO, and Terry Dolan, our Chief Financial Officer. Also joining us on the call are our Chief Risk Officer, Jody Richard, and our Chief Credit Officer, Mark Runkle. During their prepared remarks, Andy and Terry will be referencing a slide presentation. A copy of the slide presentation, as well as our earnings release and supplemental analyst schedules are available on our website at usbank.com. I'd like to remind you that any forward-looking statements made during today's call are subject to risk and uncertainty. Factors that could materially change our current forward-looking assumptions are described on page two of today's presentation, in our press release, and in our Form 10-K and subsequent reports on file with the SEC. I'll now turn the call over to Andy. Thanks, Jen, and good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining our call. Following our prepared remarks, Terry, Jody, Mark, and I will take any questions you have. I'll begin on slide three. In the third quarter, we reported earnings per share of 95 cents. Revenue totaled $5.8 billion in the fourth quarter, and we delivered a record $23.3 billion for the full year 2020, in spite of the headwinds caused by the low interest rate environment and the economic shutdowns due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The value of our diversified business model was evident this past year, as strength in our mortgage banking, corporate trust, and capital markets businesses offset pressure on our net interest margin, which we expect to be stable in the near term, and lower payments revenue due to reduced spend activity. While uncertainty remains, I'm encouraged by economic data that have generally been coming in better than expected in recent months and an improving economic outlook given progress on the vaccine and the potential for additional governance stimulus. In the fourth quarter, we saw a continuation of improving sales trends in our own payments data with the exception of some pressure on our merchant acquiring businesses, European operations, which was affected by the economic shutdown in the second half of the quarter. While we expect European operations to continue to experience pressure in the first quarter, we expect payments volume trends to continue to improve in line with consumer spend activity. Non-interest expenses were stable compared with the third quarter, and we continue to target flat sequential expense levels as long as revenue growth remains challenging. Our balance sheet is in a strong position. Credit quality metrics were a little better than anticipated this quarter, and as expected, we neither built nor released reserves in the fourth quarter. We continue to maintain strong capital and liquidity positions, which will allow us to continue to support our customers in this environment. Following the results of the Fed stress test in December, which indicated that we will continue to be subject to the minimum stress capital buffer, we announced a $3 billion common stock repurchase program with buybacks beginning this quarter. Slide four provides key performance metrics in the fourth 
in the fourth quarter, we delivered a 15.6% return on tangible common equity. Slide five shows that we continue to see migration to the digital channel. Now let me turn the call over to Terry to provide more color on the quarter. Thanks, Andy. If you turn to slide six, I'll start with a balance sheet review, followed by a discussion of fourth quarter earnings trends. Average loans declined by 2.8% compared with the third quarter. The decline was primarily driven by lower commercial loans reflecting continued paydowns by corporate customers, partly offset by higher mortgage loan balances. While paydown activity continues to slow, we expect it to remain somewhat elevated in the early part of 2021. Turning to slide seven, average deposits increased 4.2% compared with the third quarter, and overall deposit mix continues to be favorable. <clears throat> Our non-interest-bearing deposits grew 5.3%, while time deposits declined 3.8%. On slide eight, you can see that credit quality continues to perform better relative to our expectations. Our net charge-off ratio was 0.58% in the fourth quarter, which was down compared to 0.66 basis points in the third quarter, reflecting improvement in both commercial and credit card loss rates. The ratio of non-performing assets to loans and other real estate was 0.44% at the end of the fourth quarter compared with 0.41% at the end of the third quarter. <clears throat> Our loan loss provision was $441 million in the fourth quarter, which was equivalent to our net charge-offs during the quarter. Our allowance for credit losses as of December 31st totaled $8.0 billion, or 2.69% of loans. The allowance level reflected our best estimate of the impact of slower economic growth and elevated unemployment, partially offset by the consideration of benefits of government stimulus programs. <clears throat> Slide nine highlights our key underwriting metrics and loan loss allowance breakdown by loan category. We have a strong relationship-based credit culture at U.S. Bank supported by cash flow-based lending that considers sensitivity to stress proactive management, and portfolio diversification, which allows us to support growth through the economic cycle and produces consistent results. <clears throat> Turning to slide 10, exposures to certain at-risk segments, given the current environment, are stable compared with the third quarter. The top left table shows that the volume of payment relief declined meaningfully in the fourth quarter to 1.4% of total loans. <clears throat> slide 11, provides an earnings summary. In the fourth quarter of 2020, we earned 0.95 cents per diluted share. Slide 12 shows that notable items that impacted earnings in the fourth quarter of 2019, we had no notable items in the fourth quarter of 2020. Turning to slide 13, net interest income on a fully taxable equivalent basis $3.2 billion declined 1.6% compared with the third quarter, reflecting lower average loan balances and a 10 basis point decline in net interest margin. The decrease in the net interest margin was primarily driven by higher cash balances, which hurt our NIM by eight basis points and higher premium amortization. We expect stability in cash balances in the near term, and given the current outlook for mortgage refinancing activity, we believe that fourth quarter 2020 will prove to be the peak level for premium amortization expense. <clears throat> Slide 14 highlights trends in non-interest income. 
Excluding notable items in the fourth quarter of 2019, non-interest income declined 1.0%, reflecting the impact of lower industry-wide consumer spending activity on our payments businesses and deposit service charges, partly offset by a strong mortgage banking revenue and higher commercial product revenue. Slide 15 provides information about our payment services business lines, including exposures to impacted industries. Year-over-year -year payments revenue was pressured by reduced consumer and business spend activity compared with pre-COVID levels. However, consumer sales trends generally improved throughout the fourth quarter, albeit at a slower pace than we saw in the third quarter. As expected, card sales volumes were impacted by lower prepaid card volumes in the fourth quarter as payment activity related to the stimulus programs moderated in the fourth quarter. Merchant acquiring volumes were in negatively impacted by the mix of sales volumes and a decline in spending activity in Europe, following an increased economic shutdowns related to COVID-19. Commercial business spend within our corporate payments business continued to improve during the fourth quarter. Turning to slide 16 on a linked quarter basis, non-interest expenses were stable as expected. Excluding notable items in the fourth quarter of 2019, non-interest expenses increased by 5.1% on a year-over-year -year basis. Growth was driven by higher compensation related to revenue-generating business production, technology and communication costs, and COVID-19-related expenses. Slide 17 highlights our capital position. Our common equity Tier 1 capital ratio at December 31st was 9.7%. I'll provide some forward-looking guidance. <clears throat> For the first quarter of 2021, we expect fully taxable equivalent net interest income to decline in the low single digits, in part due to seasonally fewer days. We expect our net interest margin to be relatively stable. Loan balances are likely to decline in the first quarter as PPP loans are forgiven and as corporations continue to use attractive capital markets funding alternatives and their strong cash flow to continue to pay down loans. However, we expect to start to see average loan balances growing in the second quarter. We expect mortgage revenue to decline on a linked quarter basis in line with the industry as refinancing activity continues to moderate. In the first quarter, we expect both merchant acquiring revenue and corporate payments revenue to decline between 10 to 15% on a year-over-year -year basis, reflecting lower travel and hospitality volumes compared with pre-COVID levels. However, we expect sales volume trends, excluding travel and hospitality, to continue to improve on a sequential basis in line with consumer and business spend activity. The recovery of travel and hospitality spend will be dependent upon the timing and efficacy of vaccinations and changes in consumer behavior and business activities. We expect credit and debit card revenue to increase in the low double digits on a year-over-year -year basis as growth in debit and prepaid card volumes more than offset lower travel and hospitality volumes. We expect non-interest expenses to be relatively stable compared with the fourth quarter. Recently, economic indicators have generally been better than market expectations and the outlook has improved in the past few months. However, Given current uncertainties that exist related to recent trends in COVID-19 cases and related state-level restrictions, we expect non-performing assets to remain elevated, and we expect net charge-offs to remain relatively stable in the first quarter. We continue to expect net charge-offs to increase in the second half of the year. 
We expect the allowance for credit losses to begin to decline when there is more certainty regarding the economic outlook and the timing of when peak net charge-offs will occur. We will continue to assess the adequacy of the allowance for credit losses as conditions change. For the full year 2021, we currently expect our taxable equivalent tax rate to be approximately 20%. I'll hand it back to Andy for closing remarks. Thanks, Jerry. 2020 was a challenging year for many, and I'm proud of how our employees came together to support our customers and communities to help them find solutions for their individual needs. As we move into 2021, I'm confident that U.S. Bank is well-positioned to continue to deliver industry-leading results. Our diverse revenue stream will continue to serve us well as we move through the various phases of the economic cycle. We continue to carefully manage operating expenses while our scale, our innovative culture, and our focus on optimization will allow us to invest in our businesses and our digital and payments capabilities. We view a prudent and consistent approach to credit risk management and our track record as good stewards of shareholders' capital as meaningful differentiators for this company, which is why we will always manage this company with a long-term lens. I want to thank our employees for all their resiliency, flexibility, and hard work over this past year, and for all they do to bring our culture to life every day. We'll now open up the call for Q&A. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star one to ask a question. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. We will pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question is from the line of Betsy Grazit with Morgan Stanley. Hi, good morning. Morning, Betsy. Um, I wanted to just understand a little bit about how you're thinking about the progression of loan growth as you go through the year and any kind of timing or drivers that you can speak to on the consumer side and the commercial side. Yeah. So, Betsy, you know, when we end up looking at loan growth, you know, we do expect, as we said, that the first quarter is likely to be uh, down because of the factors that we talked about. But we are starting to see an inflection point. Uh, I think there's better activity from an M&A perspective and, uh, you know, uh, business spend in terms of CapEx seems to be getting a little bit stronger. So our expectation is that in the fourth quarter, we kind of hit that inflection point and loans start to grow. Uh, you know, the biggest challenge for us has really been on the commercial side of the equation, uh, you know, as we've gone through 2020. And it's really when that starts to, to, to change in which overall loan growth uh, starts to improve. Uh, you know, we do expect that as consumer uh, spend and consumer behaviors continue to get stronger throughout the year, you know, some of the pressure on credit card will alleviate. And so I do expect that as we get into second quarter and the second half of the year, that credit card balances will start to, to, to come up as well. And, uh, you know, so that kind of gives you a little bit of flavor with respect to consumer and commercial. And can you give us a sense on how you're thinking about your own appetite for M&A? We've had obviously in the industry quite a bit of um, consolidation activity over the past couple of quarters. Uh, and I know, you know, from prior comments, you've mentioned that, look, you know, you'll you'll look at, but, you know, you have a high bar. Just wondering, um, you know, given flush with capital liquidity and reserves, is if, if that changes at all the opportunity set from your perspective, you know, for any M&A? 
Hey, Betsy, this is Andy. Our position on that is, is consistent with what we talked about. You know, we'll continue to look at opportunities for, in addition to organic growth, a partnerships, alliance like we did with State Farm as well as M&A if it meets the hurdles, both from a financial and strategic sense, uh, to really increase our capabilities, our scale, our customer acquisition opportunities. So we'll, we'll be open-minded about that. Okay, thanks. And then just lastly, on the State Farm and the Charlotte market expansion and some of the other uh, locations where you're doing the um, digital first branch light strategy, could you give us a sense as to, you know, the kind of pace of um, benefit to growth that you anticipate those strategies will drive over the next couple of years? Yeah, let me start on the State Farm side. So as you know, that was an acquisition of card balances as well as deposits. And so we would expect continued increases in both of those categories in addition to other opportunities in small business and other banking products with that alliance. And that is going uh, very well, and the conversion was very smooth. Uh, Charlotte is also exceeding our expectations both in terms of extending current customer relationships as well as new customer acquisition. We slowed a little bit in terms of the additional branches because of COVID, but we're going to get back on track there. So I would say in both cases they're exceeding our expectations. Um, State Farm a little bit more material just given the size than the Charlotte acquisition, uh, Charlotte uh, increase. Got it. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Your next question is from the line of John Kinkari with Evercore ISI. Morning, John. Morning. Morning. John. Morning. Um, on the uh, credit front, just want to see if you can perhaps give us a little bit more um, color on your thought process regarding the reserve and uh, why not, um, you know, uh, release here. I know you indicated that you're um, that you're uh, watching the, the macro backdrop. What economic factors are you looking for to give you that signal uh, around reserve releases? And then separately, I know you mentioned a peaking of charge-offs. Um, so are you implying that you, you have to see that chart, the charge-offs peak before you release? I just want to see if you can elaborate there. Thank you. Yeah, no, yeah I mean, maybe with respect to your second question, no, I, I don't think we need to see them peak. I think we need to just have confidence in terms of, uh, you know, when that's going to occur. Uh, and, you know, I think that, you know, um, as time continues to move on, I think that the economic outlook uh, continues to get uh, better and stronger. Uh, you know, I mean, that's generally our expectation. Obviously, unemployment and some of the high-level economic uh, factors uh, continue to improve, which is great. I think the biggest thing that we're waiting to see is just, uh, you know, when uh, when we thought about the fourth quarter, you know, COVID cases and things like that continued to be um, continue to be spiking. Uh, there were a number of state economies that continued to put more and more restrictions on, and we just kind of wanted to see that uh, change or reverse, which I think, uh, you know, as we're starting to see now, that's uh, positive. But I think there's enough uncertainty, and we want to be conservative um, as we think about the appropriateness of the reserve. Uh, to, we wanted to see those, some of those uncertainties uh, alleviate. Okay. All right, thank you. And then uh, separately, on the loan growth front, I hear you in terms of the likely inflection that you're uh, beginning to see. So as you think about it, could you help us frame um, how you think loan growth could shape up for the year as this inflection materializes and you see the strengthening through the year? How should we think about full-year loan growth versus GDP? And then separately, um, what do you think will be the greatest contributors to loan growth in terms of your asset classes 
uh, for 2021? Yeah, you know, so relative to GDP, obviously GDP is, you know, projected to be pretty strong, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, we're, uh, from a loan growth perspective, I think the entire industry is going to see that lag a little bit behind that. Uh, but, you know, as, as the economy continues to get stronger, you know, that loan growth will occur. You know, the biggest uh, challenges I think that, um, you know, the, the industry has had and certainly that we've seen is that, with very low rates, you know, the strong companies with good cash flows have been able to go out to the markets and refinance and or use their own cash flows to pay down balances. And so, you know, similar to what we saw the last time, you know, uh, you know, deposits, there's a lot of liquidity out there with, uh, with uh, corporate America, and they need to start using some of that liquidity themselves, um, you know, in terms of capital expenditure, M&A activity, and all sorts of things. So, the positive thing that we see now is that there are some green shoots associated with all those things, and that's kind of the front end of, of uh, loan growth starting to reverse and take off, similar to what we saw last time. That's right, Terry, and I think the areas that, like you just said, the areas that probably offer the most opportunity are, are corporate loans uh, as com companies start to increase CapEx spend and M&A accelerates, and credit card as spend starts to increase. Most of the credit card increase activity right now is transactors as opposed to uh, those using balances. Got it. Okay, thanks, guys. You bet. Your next question is from the line of John McDonald with Autonomous Research. Hey, John. Hi, good morning. Um, Andy, uh, Terry gave some detailed uh, guidance items for 2021. I guess at a higher level, how are you thinking about what kind of year 2021 will be uh, in terms of maybe headwinds and tailwinds on the revenue front, and how are you thinking about managing for operating leverage? Yeah, John, so, you know, let me start by thinking about the year 2020 because I, I think one of the great attributes of our company is their diversified revenue model. So we had headwinds in a couple businesses like payments and, and NIM offset by positives in mortgage and auto and our corporate trust business and our, corporate, and our commercial products businesses. As we think about, as I think about 2021, I think some of those headwinds, particularly in payments, will begin to dissipate. Um, we, you know, we had some pressure in the fourth quarter because of our European operations, but as you know, spend's starting to get back to normal, particularly those areas outside travel and hospitality. And I think that will start to come back, particularly in quarters two, three, and four. So that'll be a positive. Mortgage continues to be strong. Uh, maybe not as strong as it, what, it, what it was in 2020, but we have a high retail activity and a new purchase activity given the expansion, the investments we've made there, so I see positives there. Our trust businesses and investment can, will continue to do strong, and then, as Terry talked about, I think the other area of opportunities is long growth. So as we think about the year, uh, that diversity of, of revenue is going to be very helpful, and we'll continue to manage expenses given the revenue opportunities we have. And as we said, as we think about the first quarter, we expect it to be relatively flat. Okay. And in terms of the operating leverage, um, you know, achievability this year, uh, you know, how would you handicap that? I know it's a tough, tough call. Yeah, a, a little. A lot, it, it's always our goal, Jack. Let me start there. You know, we're gonna we're gonna make the investments we need to, but also recognize the the current environment and try to perform as best we can given the revenue. So, uh, positive operating leverage is always our goal and we'll strive for that in 2021. Uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty on the revenue front, so we'll see how that plays out, and we'll continue to give updates. Okay. And then, Terry, maybe you could um, just weigh in on terms of uh, capital management. Uh, you know, where, Just remind us, where do you think you should be running the company? You've got a fair amount of excess here. 
um, in terms of common equity tier one and how you think about using buybacks, uh, you know, beyond the first quarter over the course of time. Thanks. Yeah, so, you know, our overall target is 8.5%, and we typically operate somewhere between 8.5% and 9%, uh, you know, in terms of uh, tier one uh, ratio. Currently, as you know, we're at 9.7, so there is capacity, and there's certainly opportunity for us to be able to bring that down. Uh, I think the thing that we'll, uh, we'll do is we'll continue to watch the uncertainties as the economic outlook continues to, uh, to strengthen and earnings strengthen. Uh, you know, we'll uh, take advantage of but there's clearly uh, plenty of opportunity from a capital management perspective to uh, use that capital in a variety of ways. Thank you. Your next question is from the line of Scott Seifert with Piper Sandler. Morning, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Um, maybe Terry uh, could ask, was hoping to ask you to expand a bit on uh, one of the comments you touched on a, a second ago with regard to corporate liquidity. Just on uh, deposits generally, you know, the whole whole world's kind of awash in uh, in all these deposits. Just your your top level thoughts on sort of when and how those um, kind of get drawn down if they if they come down. Um, uh, just overall, kind of what you're what you're thinking there. Yeah, you know, certainly our expectation for 2021 is that the, uh, from a policy perspective, the Federal Reserve is going to continue to support a fairly high level or accommodative sort of an environment. Uh, you know, our expectation is that, you know, deposits will continue to grow, but certainly not as maybe at the pace that were, that they were, uh, you know, in, uh, 2020. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, that, that's going to be, uh, both you know, an opportunity for us as, you know, we have the deposit uh, flow to be able to look at, uh, you know, investing, uh, for example, in the investment portfolio, et cetera. But it's also going to create a challenge from a, from a corporate America in terms of the amount of liquidity that they have. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And then was hoping you could touch on the commercial products revenue line a bit. Um, in, a, in a sense, it's kind of reversed some of the trends we, we see at peers where it sort of peaked earlier in the year and has been declining mm-hmm. – and just curious if you can sort of talk about some of the underlying trends there and, and expectations. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly uh, when we think about uh, commercial product revenue, I mean, the peak really was kind of that second, third quarter sort of time frame uh, for us. You know, our focus is really more on the uh, high investment grade uh, sort of customers as opposed to high yield. Uh, and I think that you're, it, kind of that mix in terms of what's happening in the marketplace ends up impacting, you know, our growth rates maybe relative to the industry. Uh, you know, fourth quarter is always a little, there's always a little bit of seasonality for us. It kind of comes down. You know, when we look at 2021, though, you know, we're generally bullish with respect to capital markets activities. Okay. Perfect. Thank you very much. Your next question is from the line of Erica Najarian with the Bank of America. Hi, good morning. Um, my first question is um, just teasing out the NII outlook for the rest of the year. As I think about your comments on loan growth and that fourth quarter will be peak for premium AM, should we expect the first quarter of 2021 to represent a bottom in net interest income? And do you, if so, would you expect it to grow from there? And, and, sorry, part B of this question, is there any PPP-related um, income that you're putting into guidance? Yeah, yeah, well, maybe with respect to the last one, I mean, PPP obviously will impact net interest income, um, you know, as forgiveness occurs, et cetera. But it's not, it's not a big driver associated with it for us. Um, 
you know, maybe kind of coming back to your, your first question, though, you know, our expectation, you know, from here is that uh, starting point net interest margin is going to be stable, um, certainly in the first quarter, and our expectations through the year. I mean, the pressures associated with the yield curve and those sorts of things that we saw last year, uh, you know, actually will probably be helpful to us. Uh, you know, as we see that inflection point in terms of loan balances, that's going to be a big, a big driver in terms of the inflection point with respect to net interest income as well. And then certainly as deposit flows, if they continue to be strong, um, you know, we don't believe that we need to build any more liquidity. Uh, and so, you know, we'll look at opportunistically, um, you know, reinvesting that in the market. Got it. And as you think about um, the trajectory for payments-related um, fee income, you know, 799 this quarter versus not or the fourth quarter versus 945 in 4Q19. As you think about your outlook for the global economy, do you think uh, you could go back to the run rate of 945 by 4Q21, or you know, do you think that certain parts of payments will take a little bit longer to come back? Yeah, well, <clears throat> generally I would say that uh, when we think about the payments business, we're optimistic uh, with respect to sales volumes as the year progresses. You know, we do, uh, you know, certainly when we saw fourth quarter, you know, we saw good sales uh, expansion in terms of credit card, debit card, uh, and in the commercial spend, so in our, in our corporate payments space. Um, the domestic spend from a merchant perspective was uh, kind of flattish in the fourth quarter, but we do expect that to continue to expand and grow uh, throughout the year. I think the, the thing that, you know, getting back to your question, though, in terms of, you know, how quickly do you get back to pre-COVID revenue levels, uh, you know, a, a driver of that is just uh, the travel and entertainment piece, which is going to be probably a little bit more subdued, at least in 2021. Got it. And, and if I could sneak a, a final question um, here, and this is for Andy. As a follow-up to Betsy's question, I do get a lot of questions from investors on whether or not U.S. Bank would do something more transformational from a non-organic growth perspective, um, seeing that your closest peers in terms of size did something, you know, either transformational or somewhat transformational. And the question here is, with assets at – 554 billion as of year end. Does the the um, the 700 bill is 700 billion a bright line for you, as it indicates you know a different tier in terms of regulatory treatment. You know I think uh, Erica the short answer is is I don't think about that as a bright line. Uh, as we talked about, we're making investments uh, across all of our businesses, particularly in the digital channels. We spend $2.5 billion a year. We have good scale, but we'll look at opportunities to increase that scale and increase the customer acquisition opportunity across all the businesses. So, uh, But there aren't any bright lines in terms of what we look at or would do or wouldn't do. Would or wouldn't do. Got it. Thank you. Sure. Your next question is on the line of Matt O'Connor with the Georgia Bank. Good morning. Uh, first, a uh, clarifying question. Sorry if I missed it, but the expense guidance, I think you said stable in the first quarter uh, versus 4Q, but did you give full year 21 guidance on costs? Yeah, we, did, we didn't necessarily give full year guidance. I would just kind of come back to what Andy said, and that you know, our, our goal and our expectation is to manage expenses flat. 
um, you know, especially, uh, you know, given the revenue environment. And, you know, our target is always to achieve positive offer leverage. It's going to be challenging, in the, especially in the earlier part of the year. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, and then separately, the alliance that you have with State Farm, just talk about some of the kind of the longer-term opportunity there. I think you brought in about $10 billion deposits and a little bit north of uh, a billion of, of card loans. But what do you think the, the revenue and earnings contribution from that can be over time? Yeah, I mean, so the, the dollars that you mentioned in terms of deposits and uh, credit card is, uh, is uh, you know, pretty close. You know, I, I, when we think about the business, though, and, and Andy's talked about this before, you know, there's just a lot of opportunity. I mean, they have 19,000 agents that are out there. And, you know, they're, they're one of the biggest uh, organizations with respect to small business customers. And, you know, so when we think about it, we think about there's opportunity in terms of deposit gathering. There's certainly opportunity to enhance and improve the credit card program that has existed. But, uh, you know, we have a number of different initiatives that are going to focus around um, really expanding that and also expanding our relationship with them uh, in terms of auto lending as well as, um, as, well as small business. Uh, opportunities. And I guess what I'm getting at, like, if we look out five years, like, is this something that could all of a sudden start moving the needle, right? Like, so mortgage, you were investing heavily in it for a number of years, and all of a sudden activity picked up, and, you know, it's this massive number, and even if it's not sustainable, it just shows kind of the, the fruits of the investments. Is, is this something that could move the needle, or is it just kind of a building block along with some other initiatives? Thank you. No, I think I think it is one of those things that uh, can move the needle for us. I mean, anytime you have access through 19,000 agencies, uh, you know, we think that that's very significant. And you know, the other thing, uh, Matt, is that you know we've invested a lot in digital capabilities. We plan on leveraging all of those digital capabilities in order to be able to support their customers and ours. Uh, so we're, we're we're very bullish and we're very excited about the State Farm Alliance. A lot more to come. Okay. Thank you. Your next question is from the line of Ken Houston with the Jefferies. Morning, Ken. Hey, morning, guys. Uh, morning. Uh, just a couple uh, quick follow-ups. Um, first of all, um, on the on the point about premium M and, and it bottoming, is there a way you can help under, uh, help us understand how much of an impact that currently is, either you know, in numeric terms or uh, how much directional change there is, has been um, to get to this point? Given your point that it's bottom, you know, to the point that it's bottoming. Yeah, I mean, we haven't necessarily disclosed any dollars associated with premium amortization. Uh, you know, if you end up thinking about the ten basis points um, this quarter, uh, you know, uh, eight of it is really related to uh, card balances. So the rest of it is is really driven by premium amortization, a significant amount. You know, so I. I, I think with respect to first quarter, you know, it's uh, – or sec, uh, fourth quarter, it's really peaked. First quarter, uh, you know, it's really – and into 2021, it's really going to track, I think, along with how refinancings occur within the mortgage industry. Okay. And as you as you look into um, this year and consider the stimulus that's already started to, to flush through and potentially more stimulus, how does that impact – um, what you expect to see in the payments businesses, uh, at, at least domestically. So, you know, does that does that net help revenues? Does it weigh on revenues? And, and what other kind of you know through the income statement um, uh, uh, FX do you, are you anticipating given the, the prospect for even more stimulus to come through? Thanks. 
Yeah, I mean, when you think about stimulus, you know, certainly in the short term, it helps our prepaid card businesses uh, pretty significantly. Um, and, uh, and you know, with the respect to the most recent one, and if there's another round of it, I think that that would continue to help throughout the year. But I do think that, uh, you know, it will, and we did see in the last stimulus, you know, it does, it does stimulate consumer activity in terms of buying. Uh, and, you know, that is going to help uh, and did help and, and will help our payments businesses as we think about 2021. So, uh, you know, th that to me is a very favorable thing. I think the other thing is that, you know, when you think about it from a credit standpoint, um, you know, the $900 billion maybe was a little bit lower than uh, what had been hope hoped for, but it's a nice start, and I think there's uh, most likely, uh, you know, thoughts in terms of more to come. Uh, the, the real question there is, is, does that create the bridge for the consumer customers uh, from a net charge-off perspective to really keep those, at, um, keep those at bay, so to speak? And I think that, uh, you know, stimulus is going to be a positive, both in terms of revenue as well as on the uh, net charge-off side, if it, if it occurs. Yeah, and, and just one follow-up on the European side of the payments business. How quickly uh, can does lockdown changes move into the revenue stream, meaning that is it coincident? Does it start to lag from what you've observed in the, you know, the prior the first lockdowns as opposed to this one that's happened now and wait on the fourth quarter results? You know, what's the experience that you, you've seen and would expect? Yeah, the bounce back is pretty fast. Uh, you know, I mean, it certainly is, you know, within that, uh, within that 30 to 90 days sort of time frame, you start to see it. You know, it, it does take a while for it to, to, you know, for that trajectory to get back, but, uh, you know, it, it does happen pretty fast. You know, the other thing to keep in mind is, uh, you know, the European revenue uh, impact to U.S. bank total revenue is probably around 1%, so it's a very small amount uh, in terms of total revenue. And, um, you know, we'll, but we'll continue to see what happens with respect to lockdown. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Your next question is from the line of Mike Mayo with the Wells Fargo. Hi. Um, well, I guess you stand out, unless I missed it. So no reserve uh, releases, um, pandemic-related, or did I, did I miss that? Uh, you built up, what, about $2 billion of reserves uh, the prior three quarters, but no releases in the fourth quarter? If, did I get that right? And if so, why no releases? Yeah, Mike, that, that is correct. Uh, you know, we when we end up looking at the allowance for credit losses, uh, you know, we uh, still see, as as I said a little bit earlier, you know, I I think we end up looking at the uncertainties that exist out there, at least existed out there, uh, at the end of the year, and uh, you know, just have have uh, we want to what we want to be able to see is we want to see kind of a reversal of some of the restrictions and a reversal associated with some of the. Uh, um, the uh, uh, COVID cases, and I think that we're starting to see that happening, which is a good sign. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the reasons that we really uh, kind of held pat with respect to the allowance for credit losses at this point. So it's not your clients, it's just you're just being conservative with the environment. Well, yeah, I think it's just the uncertainty in the environment. We'd like to see a few of those uh, continue to improve. Okay. Um my, my bigger question relates to uh, your presentation uh, from December, which talks about recreating the, uh, the ecosystem um, and going after more of the payments business with your uh, middle market companies and small businesses um, and basically improving the share of payments with uh, your business customers. And I didn't completely understand 
uh, the end game for that? Any specific metrics around how you're trying to improve share? For example, one metric could be you have X percent share of the payments business with your middle market companies and you want to move it to Y or uh, anything concrete that you can put around what feels like a newer or enhanced strategic direction, and that coincides, I guess, with your closing of one-fourth of your branches, and if you can give an update on that also. Yeah, Mike, this is Andy. Let me start with the branches. So we, we did complete the branch closures early in, in January. So uh, as we talked about, we were just over 3,000 branches. We're down about 25%, so just over 2,300 branches, and that's really a function of consumer behaviors, you know, as you saw from the chart. 77% of our customers are using the digital channel. Those using the branch channel, while still important and still seeking advice and counsel, it's down to about 40%. So there's a behavior change that's accelerated as a result of the pandemic, and the closures reflect that. That's number one. On the small business, business banking front, I think it's a very significant opportunity. Uh, we have a great payments business. We have a great banking business. And weaving those two together to offer a full set of capabilities uh, for that ecosystem is critically important. And I think there's there's three metrics that we're going to focus on. Payments customers that add banking capabilities, banking customers that add payments capabilities, and new customer acquisition. And we haven't uh, articulated those goals, but we have goals for all three of them, and we'll update as we go forward. But I think it's a huge opportunity. Okay. And as far as last question, um, extra spending? I mean, if you closed all your branches, it's done in January, so you certainly have savings. Your tech spend went up uh, quarter over quarter in the fourth quarter. So are you looking to increase your tech spend while you create this kind of newer ecosystem? So, so Mike, we talked a little bit about our guidance on expense, which is relatively flat. And as you think about that flat expense guidance, there's really two components. One is achieving savings through optimization on the current business model, while at the same time investing for the new. So we're going to be able to continue to invest to uh, allow us to expand in these areas while retaining flat expenses by saving on the current business model. All right. Thank you. You bet. Your next question is from the line of Vivek Janiza with the J.P. Morgan. Hey, Andy. Hey, Terry. Thanks for taking my questions. I'm good. Thanks. A couple of questions. Firstly, um, Branch closures, you obviously did a lot um, in early Jan. What's your thinking for the rest of the year? Are you done for this year? Do you think there's more to come, you know, and in line with that, given that this is all about consumer behavior with the pandemic, what is, how is that changing your thinking about opening more branches? I know you said you want to open more in Charlotte, but you know, uh, that whole expansion strategy, do you need as many branches? How is, you know, if you could sort of talk to both those pieces. Sure, Rebecca. So as you think about Charlotte, we we were targeting a, a dozen branches. If you think about the Twin Cities, we have uh, nearly 85 to 100. So the way we would open in a new market would be significantly different than the current business model. In terms of the number, I think um, we're at a relatively stable point right now. We'll continue to look at opportunities to optimize branches at the same time opening new branches, but I wouldn't expect substantial changes in the near term. Okay. Great. Um, different question. Um, what percentage of your merchant processing revenues is small to mid-sized merchants versus the large? Well, I don't necessarily have that at my fingertips. 
but you know if you end up just kind of looking at the overall mix um, you know we have we have a pretty good mix of small and medium-sized sort of businesses that are part of that uh, part of that equation and uh, you know they they have tended to be um, you know kind of omni uh, distribution sort of uh, merchants or customers as well uh, one of the things we continue to expand and grow is our e-commerce uh, sort of uh, capabilities and uh, that has grown very nicely over the last uh, over the last uh, year or so. Would you expect that they're half your business, over half? What, what would you guess? Yeah, if I were if I were boy, if I were to venture a guess, I uh, you know I'd say you know maybe a little bit. It depends on how you end up characterizing small and medium, et cetera. I think that's the that's the thing that I'm struggling with here a little bit. Today. You know, Vivek, one thing I'd add, because I, I think where you're going in terms of the recovery, one one way we look at it a lot and very focused on is the component of our merchant acquiring that is travel, entertainment, and airline. And, you know, a year ago, back in 2019, that was nearly 40%, and so it was 37%, and today it's about 20%. So the decline that's occurred has been principally in that area, as opposed to small or large business, it's been in that uh, that focused area of travel and airline Everything else has actually got back to normal, and that 20% is where the opportunity exists for uh, continued improvement and spend as we think about the future. Great. All right. Thanks. And one last one, if I may. Did the mortgage banking state, you know, still very strong? I know it's down. You, I'm presuming you've been able to pass on the GSE refi fee thus far. Is that the case? And uh, what's the plan for that as you look forward? That, that would be that would be the situation for the case. Um, you know, and again, when we think about the mortgage banking business too, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the refi. But you know, the thing that I maybe remind people is that we made a lot of investment in that business in terms of the purchase uh, purchase money, purchase mortgage, and that it continues to do very well. I think it's uh, if you end up looking at the production of applications in the last quarter, it was about 52% purchase versus refinancing. So, I you know. I, I know that that uh, people look at that as a headwind, but I actually think that that's an area of opportunity as we think about the future. All right. Okay. Great. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks. Your next question is on the line of Bill Karkachi with Wolf Research. Morning, Bill. Hi, good morning. Uh, good morning. Thank you for all of the color that you guys have given on uh, payments. Uh, but I wanted to follow up with a bigger picture question. Uh, broadly speaking, how, how would you guys respond to concerns of, of some investors that USB's merchant acquiring business is tethered to the physical point of sale and is competitively disadvantaged against some of the more digitally native names like you know, PayPal, Square, and Stripe? Um, and also, you know, more broadly, if you could discuss what USB is doing to compete against um, those kinds of players. Yeah, good good questions, Bill, and twofold. Number one is most of the investments we've made and most of the expansions occurred over the last two years has been on the e-commerce side of the equation. And it's not just e-commerce. It's really uh, capabilities to help those businesses run their businesses. And I think one of the advantages against those payments players you described is our banking business, and that's why we're so darn focused on weaving together banking and payments because those customers – need not just the payments mechanisms, they need small loans, they need deposit ad advice and uh, acceptance, so they need the full array of services. And I think if we can offer those in a convenient, 
um, easy fashion uh, that solves their problems and helps them run their business, I think that's where our advantage is. And that's that combination of banking and payments that's so darn important. Thanks, Andy. That's super helpful color. If I could squeeze in a, another one, I'm sorry if you guys discussed this already on the securities portfolio, but what kind of reinvestment rates are you guys seeing uh, relative to what we saw in the fourth quarter and, and you know, maybe a little bit on what kind of opportunity a steeper curve uh, could represent? Yeah, um, certainly when we see the, the securities portfolio, I mean, the differential from our reinvestment has shrunk some. Uh, relative, for example, the third quarter, fourth quarter got a little bit better, and we would expect probably to get uh, better as well. I do think as the long end of the curve uh, starts to come up, I think that that is another inflection point. It's just a matter of kind of what the timing of that is. Got it. Um, uh, thanks very much for, for answering my questions. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Your final question is from the line of Gerard Cassidy with RBC. Hey, Gerard. Good morning, Ian, and good morning, Terry. Morning. Um, question for you on the outlook for loan-loss reserves. Clearly, you guys have always been very conservative, and you still are uh, as we look out into the future. Maybe, Terry, can you share with us, I think, if, if I read the number correctly, reserves to loans today are about 2.69%, and that's, of course, higher than where we were in January 1 when you guys had your CECL adjustment, I think it was about 1.99%. Do you eventually see the reserve to loan number coming back to where it was pre-pandemic at, at about 2%? Yeah, <clears throat> the, the, uh, it, it'll be kind of really around timing, but certainly when we look at the overall mix of our business and our portfolio and our underwriting, uh, that 2% uh, to us makes sense as we get through the pandemic sort of environment. Very good. And then, Andy, uh, maybe a bigger picture question. Uh, clearly, you guys' outlook is maybe a little more conservative than some of your peers, but there seems to be, you know, the expectation that is the vaccines are widespread, uh, hopefully by the middle of the year, that the economy will come back strongly in the second half. There are calls for real GDP growth of 5 to 6%. The equity markets are at record levels, as you know. Um, what, when you go down the elevator at night, what risks do you worry about as you think about the next 12 to 24 months? Well, the principal risks are the ones you described, which are the economic uh, risks, the headwinds, and the, and the flat yield curve. But I think the economic uh, headwinds that we faced uh, in the second half of 2020 are starting to dissipate for sure and starting to come back. And, again, uh, Gerard would mention, we have a diversified revenue stream and different businesses do well in different environments. And those businesses that struggled with some of the headwinds that we saw related to NIM and loan growth and payments, I think will start to turn the other way as we start to see the recovery for all the reasons you described. So, um, uh, and then different businesses will be impacted in different ways. So the value of a diversified revenue stream really is very helpful and one of the ways that uh, helps us perform in whatever economic cycle we're in. But, but the principal, you know, thing that we all think about is, you know, how the stimulus and how the actions of the government as well as some of the uh, forbearance and plans by the banks will help us get back into a normal economic recovery. I think that's the principal area of concern for all of us right now. Very good. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Greg. There are no further questions. 
Thank you for joining our call today. Please call the Investor Relations Department with any follow-up questions. This concludes today's U.S. Bank Corp. fourth quarter 2020 earnings call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.